Welcome to the final story for season one of Mojo Girl Madness. This is not the final episode, just the last of the personal stories I've written about my life. Don't forget what I said before I read my first story to let me know if the story resonates, if it reflects or motivates you to write your own story, which maybe will be read on season two of Mojo Girl Madness. I would love to welcome your madness into our journey on our next go-round. Think about it. My last story here is an account of the reaction I had to what should be a simple question. And this is a question you could easily ask yourself. It makes for a great study of yourself. This was a somewhat painful story to remember and to write, but it actually evolved my perception of certain people in my life including myself. This final tale is entitled, Which One? I had to laugh when the teacher in my memoir class gave me the following prompt. Which of your parents are you most like? Um, I don't want to be like either of them. Ever. But the question got me thinking. I literally made a diagram with mom on one side and dad on the other. I listed aspects of their personalities under each heading. Mom was soft-spoken, insecure, weak, naive, and always afraid of something. There was always an obstacle, a worrier. Dad was a pompous, know-it-all, racist, sexist, homophobic bully. She didn't clean the house. He washed his hands for 20 minutes. She couldn't grasp how to change gears in her pinto stick shift. You could hear the grinding from blocks away. He drove like he used to fly, at incredibly high speeds in his glossy Datsun 240Z. She slept on the living room sofa, never in the master bedroom, where he slept next to his stack of hardcore porn magazines. I recall my former therapist being amazed that the hardcore stuff would be so easily accessible when two young girls were in the house. His daughters. It was. There were stacks of, like, really severe stuff right there in the nightstand. I don't think he and my mom ever had sex in the later years of their marriage. Probably for most of it, actually. But I wasn't cognizant of all that when I was 10 years old. I just knew they never actually slept in the same room. My mom blamed it on his snoring. Perfect match, they were. I wish I had known my parents before they were married, as individuals. I wish I had known who the good, better versions of each of them actually was, if such better people ever existed. It occurs to me now that I really didn't know my parents very well at all. All I knew was what I personally experienced with them and that it was also distorted by the circumstances. My mother, to me, was an alcoholic anorexic who was never strong enough to protect the young me from my father. Ultimately, I guess, she did protect me by divorcing his sorry ass, but it took way too long for her to do so. It wasn't until she saw the ten-year-old me sliding down a wall that she finally said enough. There'd been a court order to get him out of the house as he wouldn't leave. But she went through with it all. Maybe she was stronger than I thought. I mean, she really couldn't have divorced him prior to that time, since it took so long for them to recover after the airplane crash. 
especially him. And she then had to figure out a way to make a living and take care of us, as my dad could never be a pilot again. The airplane crash occurred the week I turned six. And at the time, we were visiting my dad's parents in Arizona, so my mother had to not only recover from the accident herself, but she had to rent out our new house in California since we were stuck indefinitely in another state. While my dad went headfirst through the windshield of the single-engine plane as it smashed into a cow pasture, my mom slid down under the passenger side console. Side note, the owner of that cow pasture where the plane crashed actually filed a hefty lawsuit against my parents. He said his cows went into shock due to the crash and he, he lost a lot of money. I was told that the judge threw out the case when my mom started sobbing in the courtroom. When the plane came down, my mom broke her cheekbone and both legs in multiple places. Mostly superficial injuries, though. She recovered in a few months. My dad went into a coma for six weeks. He had three brain surgeries and a metal plate installed in his forehead to maintain the structure of his face and protect his frontal lobe. He reverted back to infancy and had to be rehabilitated. He broke his back and had to wear a brace for years until his spine could hold him upright and he could be mobile and walk without it. My two-year-old sister and I lived with and were cared for by my grandparents for over a year. That was a very trying time since my grandmother had only raised boys. I still joke that I'll never have short hair because my grandmother traumatized me so much after the accident by cutting my long blonde hair off into what she called a pixie. Apparently, this was more manageable for her, but I felt like I looked like a boy. I didn't know who I was or who anyone else was or what was really going on with anything. I was enrolled in first grade at Sam Hughes Elementary School in Tucson, Arizona, hundreds of miles from my friends. And at that same school, my mom would end up getting her first class to teach. She had had to get her teaching credentials at the University of Arizona through all of this and then had to land a teaching position that would carry us until my dad could do something again. My God, so much going on, and somehow she handled it all. I always remember my mom being petite, but I don't know exactly when the anorexia took hold, probably around the time the alcohol did, which I think was in my early teens. We were back living in the Bay Area house by then. He was gone along with the financial support which he refused to pay, and he could have. He had a medical pension from TWA as well as a trust set up by his uncle. I think they used the term medical pension as a replacement for disability payments, but still, he supposedly had an income and we saw none of it. My mom was now teaching at the local elementary school, where I went to elementary school, Neil A. Armstrong Elementary in San Ramon, California. She never dated, but... (laughs) Who was she going to meet? And when? She had two young kids, a full-time job, and a household to manage. She even had to teach summer school and take classes herself to improve her pay grade, all so we could make ends meet. There was no online, no social agenda. This was her life. So much was thrown on my mom's plate at such a young age. She was only 30. 30 when the Cessna went down. This was not the life the beautiful SMU homecoming queen had imagined for herself. Yes, she was soft-spoken and naive, but those weren't necessarily bad traits. She was so much stronger 
I realize now, than I ever gave her credit for. She undoubtedly was constantly worried and fearful about how she would provide a good existence for her girls and herself. I'm certain she felt very alone and was incredibly lonely. Her drinking likely stemmed from hating her life and wanting out of it in whatever way possible. Anorexia is a control issue, so with her feeling overwhelmed, combined with the low self-esteem that resulted from aging alone as a divorced woman in the 1970s, it made sense. I so wish my mom had been able to get her fucking mojo back. When I think about her life and who she was, it was all so unfair. The universe handed the young beauty a very unhappy ending. My dad, on the other hand, always seemed an arrogant, selfish man. He was the violent version of Don Draper, tall, handsome, domineering, a cheater. I remember finding drawings he'd made on a spiral notepad next to his chair in the den, graphic drawings of nude women, and they were not my mom. He rarely was alone in the den, so he had made those drawings while either his wife or daughters were in the room. And he left them there. I'll never forget the feeling of sheer terror we three young women felt when we heard his pounding footsteps come down the hall towards us if we happened to be talking or laughing or watching TV too loudly for him, which seemed to be every night. I remember us being silly girls enjoying the Brady Bunch and my mom laughing when I asked her why why she wasn't as cool as Mrs. Brady when our giggles were cut short abruptly upon hearing and feeling the thomp, thomp, thomp getting closer. We would gasp and catch ourselves, and the looks between us are those that should never be shared between a mother and her daughters. We were often scared to breathe for fear we'd awaken the monster. I felt a fierce protectiveness towards my mother, who usually took the brunt of the monster's anger. I think in today's world, the neighbor's would likely have called the cops when they heard our screams. I'll also never forget the humiliation and pain I endured after being literally dragged by my arm from the neighbor's house and spanked all the way home, my feet often levitating above the pavement as my arm was stretched high above my head, and his open hand repeatedly pushed my little body forward, painfully. All because I'd forgotten to fold the clothes in the dryer. But these memories were all from after the accident, which happened when my dad was barely 35. 35, and the dashing pilot would fly no more. I didn't find out until I was in my 30s that my dad had had what was called a functional lobotomy after the accident. All I knew was that he could never work again and no longer had a sense of smell. He had lived to fly. He'd been a star in the Air Force. He was on the recruiting poster, for Christ's sakes. He was a month away from being made captain at TWA when the accident happened. He'd gone commercial with TWA not long after he, my mother, and I moved back to the States from the Air Force base in Germany, where I had been born. They bought the house near San Francisco when I was five, and my sister was one. It had looked like a really good future for the young family. Then it all literally came crashing down. I don't excuse my father for being violent. I don't excuse him for being 
a sexist pig and a bigot, or for any of the other awful aspects of his personality. But I do now realize he wasn't himself after the crash, that his entire purpose in life, his beloved career, his pride at being the traditional dominant breadwinner, his six-foot-three movie star appearance, his everything, was all taken from him in a blink of an eye. And that while the doctors put him back together physically, mostly, they could do nothing for his state of mind. I also now realize that his state of mind had major limitations post-crash. Years later, when he died, homeless on the streets of Atlanta, I had felt it was some sort of karmic justice at the time. In hindsight, it was all just sad. Really, really sad. I don't excuse either of my parents for their personal failings, but I do now forgive them. I've heard it said that we all do the best we can with what we know how to do. My parents never could have imagined the cards they'd be dealt, but they still had to play the hand. To ask me which one of them I was more like is for me to reply, which mom, before or after the crash, which dad? I think I'm now okay with answering. I have my mother's strength and survival skills, and I thank her for that. And I have my father's love of flying above it all. His in the literal sense, mine in the figurative. I'm not more like or unlike either of my parents, but a combination of parts of them. Hopefully the better parts. May they, may we all, Rest in peace. Mojo Girl Madness is produced by Morgan McDougal Productions.